Yeah. Guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about parenting, fathers, mothers, kids. And if you don't have kids, you're probably going to have kids someday, or you're a kid, you've been a kid. And uh, last week, what the Apostle Paul talked about to the church in Ephesus was revolutionary. It was earth-shattering, groundbreaking, never, ever heard of that kind of teaching or thought when it came to husbands and wives. And the same is true today when he talks about parenting. So how did we get here? Well, in about A.D. 55, the Apostle Paul and his teammate in ministry, Silas, they come into the city of Ephesus, which is Asia Minor back then, modern-day Turkey today. And it's a pagan city. They worship the goddess Diana. And he begins to preach Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, that he took our sin, died for our sin, that he is God, and he rose again the third day. People begin to get saved. This is the short version. And people get saved, and we see that many are coming to Christ, and at the same time, there are those that are unhappy with Paul because he's hurting their business, their industry, because they sell idols, and people are, are ceasing to buy idols. So many people are getting saved. And so they're thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, Paul and Silas. And it says as they're in prison, they are beaten severely, bloody and beaten. They're put in stocks and chains. And then it says at midnight, and this is where, this is a powerful part of the story. At midnight, in the darkest hour, when they did not feel like it, in their hurt, in their pain, and even discouragement, they made a choice. They began to worship God and praise God at midnight. Say with me, midnight. And there's power in worship. How many know that today? We're not just singing a few songs. We're worshiping the living God who is worthy of our praise. And they begin to lift up the name of Jesus. And the presence of God filled that jail. And, and the jail doors were burst open, and their stocks and chains came off miraculously. And the jailer wanted to kill himself because he knew if the prisoners walked out, his life would be taken. Paul stops him. He receives Christ. His family receives Christ. They're baptized in water, and they walk out of the jail cell. And so we see now, it's about 61 AD, Paul is writing to his friend's the church that he pastored for two years and left in good hands. And he's writing from a prison cell now in Rome in 61 AD. And the theme here in Ephesians has been, you know, we have an old life, our old sinful nature, and through Jesus Christ we have a new life, a new nature, and we live life a new way, not our old way. And then last week he was sharing with us that there's a new way for our marriages, a new way for our marriages to be lived out. And then he begins to talk about today where we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses. There's a new way for the family. And everyone has an opinion about parenting. Psychologists and sociologists, schools, government, so many books, TV, podcasts, social media. So we're going to look at today, what does the Bible have to say about parenting. Of course, we can't cover everything, but just some points we can bring out today. What kind of parents, fathers, mothers, does God want us to be as he helps us to be? And so last week we looked at husbands, that we're to love our wives with unselfish sacrifice. Wives to love their husbands with unselfish respect. And so some of you this morning, you may be part of a family that needs 
you know, restoration. Or maybe your family, you just need to get away after last year, and some folks are getting away this year, as we see. Get away and have some fun together. Man, you haven't had fun for a long time. You need some fun. How many's up for some fun? I'm up for some fun. We are. If you're here next week, that's why we're doing next week. Time with God, going to have some fun together outside. And, and then maybe you as a husband and wife, as parents, need to sit down and kind of redefine and clarify your roles, your parenting roles, who you are together, what you're doing together. And let me say this, maybe you're pulling double duty. You, you may be here, you're a single parent, a single mom, a single dad. That's tough, that's hard. I can't imagine that, J just one parent. But so we have some direction today. And our faith in Christianity isn't just something that we believe, that we have a creed, but we see what we hear in Ephesians and James is that our faith is something that we do. We put it into practice, not just talk about. So I want to encourage you today, if you'd stand with me, please, as we go to God's Word. Exercise your leadership. Assume your responsibility for the health and the development of your family. So here's the big idea today. Parenting. There is no greater blessing and no greater responsibility and parenting isn't for cowards, okay? <laughs> so take your Bibles, if you would, this morning, and let's just believe the Lord's going to speak to us today, and we're going to receive from the Word of God. We're just going to allow Him to, uh, our ears are going to be open, our spiritual eyes open, our hearts open. So Lord, we want you to speak to us today. We need to hear from you this morning. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look at verse 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents. You belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things go well, will go well with you, and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So we look at that. Helps for the family. So we're going to start with our responsibility first before we look at the children. First of all, as I look at helps for the family, I must understand how God wants me to respond to my children. I must understand. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The instruction here is for fathers and mothers, speaks first to fathers as we are to take the initiative and exercise the leadership in the home, but do not exasperate our children to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable 
or humiliating or abusive. Do not show favoritism to our children or indifference to any of them. So we're told what not to do, what to do. And so as I said last week, Paul's teaching was revolutionary on marriage. Nothing, nothing ever, ever like that was ever taught, ever shared in the history of mankind. And the same is true about parenting. Nothing like this was ever, ever shared. This was a radical, revolutionary, groundbreaking concept. And they heard that. It was like, Paul, are you serious? What in the world are you talking about? What I just read just now, these scriptures. What are you talking about? So what was family life like in that Roman world of the first century? Well, we look at that. It was a man's world. In politics, in society, in the family, men held both the power and the purse strings. Well, women should get excited. It's a new day today. Amen? (laughs) It's a new day. Families were dominated by the men. At the head of the Roman family was the oldest living male, and he was called the paterfamilias, or the patriarch, or the father of the family. He looked after the family business, all the affairs, property. He could reform, uh, perform religious rights on their behalf. The paterfamilias had absolute rule over the household and the children. This is the way it was. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making this up. If they angered him, he had the legal right to disown his children. He could sell them into slavery or he could even kill them if he wanted to. He was the head of the family. I could say, I'm not going to go there. My wife's Italian. I could say, here's where the mafia started, right here. (laughs) No. The father of the family, he owned the property. No matter how old the children were, they could grow up, they could be married, they could have children of their own. He owned the property, and he even gave his adult children allowances to manage their household. He held that power until he died. Sons were important. The Romans put a lot of value on continuing the family line. And so if they did not have a son, they could adopt a son. And that's what they wanted to do, continue the family line. They may adopt a nephew. They may even adopt a slave so the family line could continue. It wouldn't die out. Women usually married in their early teens. The men were in their mid-20s when they married. Men had the power, the formal power, but women exerted influence. They managed the household in the upper classes. They supported their husband by by, uh, uh, their, their demeanor. They supported him by their behavior and their grace and their dignity in his business. The father had the right to decide if the newborn baby would be in the family or not in the family. The midwife would take that newborn baby immediately and lay it at the father's feet. If and only if the father picked it up, would that baby live in that family? If it was a girl and he didn't want a girl, they would put the baby outside and it could die or it could be sold into slavery. If the baby had a deformity of some kind, they would put it outside and it would probably die. It would not be picked up as a slave. It was abandoned. Around 25% of babies in the first century 
did not survive their first years, and up to half of the children would not reach age 10. And so as a result, the woman began to have legal rights. If she had three live births in a row, that was something for a woman because that gave her legal rights. And what she could do with that was she was recognized as legally independent and she could choose to shake off the male control of her life. And so we look at this, and that sounds so cruel, so hard, so absurd, but into this culture, into this mindset, this never, ever heard of teaching is given to parents. And is it, was and is today, I want you to hear this, the Bible has an entirely way, different way for us to live, a total different mindset than our society. The Bible's way is not our way. God's ways are higher than our ways. God values human life, and it says, in his image, he created male and female. He knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. The word of God will always be in stark contrast to the culture. We are to live a total different way. Quit trying to think we're going to line up with the culture. We are different than the culture. We're not in this world. We're not of this world. Amen? And so, God is perfect, we're broken, God's way works. works. So the question, how do we provoke, how do we exasperate our children? Well, here's some ways. And so, you can look at the app and write some things down. We can do this by unclear boundaries. So we get some practical things here. We say to our children, well, you have to obey, you have to keep the rules, but they're not quite clear. Well, what are the rules? When and where do we cross the lines? Because we haven't been specific as parents. Don't watch too much TV. Don't play too many video games. Go to bed early. Don't stay out late. And it's unclear to the kids. And they come back and say things like, well, I didn't think eight hours of television was too much. I didn't realize 12 hours of video games was too much. And, you know, I didn't realize one o'clock was in the morning was too late to come in. You know, a little bit clearer on what are the rules. We had a rule when our kids, our boys were teenagers, you had to be home at midnight. And then I remember something we put on the door, sleigh bells from Christmas. Because I wasn't staying up. Teresa may stay up. I'm, I'm sleeping, man. I got, good, I got important things to do. I need to sleep. But you can hear those sleigh bells. And what's funny is we still have those sleigh bells on our door. John's 39 married with kids. Jordan's 33 with kids, but we still have those sleigh bells on the door. You're to be home at midnight. That's the way it was. You know, I think back, my, my parents, you know, were old school, but I, I had it pretty easy, really, and I was supposed to be home at midnight, and, and the thing was, I was 17, and, and at 17, I was already out of high school, and, and some of you know, I grew up in the Detroit area, and so I worked uh, right after I graduated in January, I was in an automobile plant. I worked third shift, so I was like a kid in a man's world, and I got off at midnight. Well, one night after work, I didn't come home after work. What did I do after work? I went to the bar with the guys at work. In Michigan at 18, you could go to the bar. Well, they didn't check IDs. They didn't know how old I was, 17. I came home at 6 in the morning. 
And I can remember coming home at 6 in the morning, and uh, I was surprised my dad was this cool. I really was. But, but as he's going out the door to work, I'm walking in, and he just looks at me real calm. Don't ever do that again. I never did that again. <laughs> clear boundaries, clear boundaries. Inconsistent discipline. Why are we inconsistent? We're human. We get tired. Man, it takes energy to discipline, doesn't it? Come on, it takes energy to discipline the kids. Well, we don't feel like it. It, it. We'll do it later. It, kids can wear you down. Man, you can have, you know, we only had two. Both of ours have three. They're outnumbered right now. Kids can outnumber you. Then they will divide and conquer you. That's their plan. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy to discipline. It really does. You know, and, and, you know, I can remember our son, our, our kids are six years apart. He was about 14. And I can remember one time he's saying to me, Dad, this isn't fair. You're not fair. How many have heard that before? Well, you're right. This is a loving dictatorship. I'm in control. This isn't fair. But, Dad, you're not fair. You're not fair. You, you, you love Jordan more than I do. And I can remember I just said to him, John, you're a bright kid. I'm surprised it took you this long to figure that out. Ah, oh, Dad, Dad, you know. And then we may be consistent because we want our kids to like us. I want to say this. Don't try to be your kid's friend. Be a parent. Be a mom and a dad. And if you're a mom and a dad, you'll end up being their friend someday. Amen? Two parents can work well together. One's tired, one's not tired. And I'm going to say, if you're a single parent, you have a very tough job. I can't imagine what that'll be like. I want us to be able to help you as a church. Let us assist you. Let us take some of that load off of you any way we can. Parenting isn't easy. Unbalanced criticism. What I mean by that is uh, not enough positives or praise. Ten parts positive to one part criticism. We remember the criticism and the negatives far more than the positive. Unreasonable demands. Kids don't understand why you're asking them to do something. How many were ever told this as a kid? Why? And your parents say, because I said so. How many ever got that answer? And you thought, I'm never going to tell my kids that. And then you cut, catch yourself. You say, I'm never going to do that. Never going to say that. I can remember the first time. They're at, Why, Dad? Why, Dad? Because I said so. I blew it. There it is. You know, the thing is, God doesn't even operate that way. And he's the one that really has a right to do that. But he doesn't say, because I said so, when he tells us to do things, encourages us to do things, calls us to do things. He doesn't say, because I said so. We see in his word consistently, he says, love one another because it will show the world that you are my disciples. He says, pray. Well, why do we pray? So we can develop a relationship with our God. He says, so I can communicate with you, so I can bless you. I can change you. I can change circumstances. I can change people. He says, read your Bible because you're going to grow in faith. You're going to build your faith, build your character. My word will give you wisdom, insight, understanding. You're going to know me. And, and, he, and he says, my word will equip you for life. And then we say, well, why is sex just for marriage? 
God says, because I said so, I'm a big killjoy in the sky. No. He says, because it's meant to be enjoyed in a marriage covenant relationship. Just that commitment. But when we get married, we make a covenant with God, before God, and with our spouse. We make a holy covenant that is a binding agreement. He says, I want you to enjoy the gift I've given you, intimacy. And he says, if not, you're going to be affected emotionally and spiritually, and you're going to have a relationship with this guy and a relationship with this girl, and their soul ties with him and soul ties with her, and there's stuff in their life and stuff in your life. It's only to be shared in the covenant relationship so you can be healthy and whole. Then unspoken expectations. They're never really laid out, but sometimes our kids can, you know, they're just not good enough. They're not measuring up. And then unresolved anger is a way that we can exasperate our kids and our children. And if we're not careful, we can take our anger out on our children. We don't want to do that. This is what it says in the Living Bible, verse 4. And now a word for parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Paul also writes there in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. And then I must understand how to train and instruct my children. What does that mean? This means we set the right environment for growth. We can't make them grow, but we set the environment. And I don't have to tell you, but, but I think you're realizing it. Man, we're living in a new day and a new hour spiritually in this nation. Our families are under attack more than ever before. School curriculum, anti-Bible rhetoric, critical race theory, social media, gender identity issues, lack of morals are not the morals that you have for your family. And I want you to hear this. Our theme this year is stand strong. We want to set an environment for our children to grow. This is the thing. Your family, it's your family, not the schools, not the state, not the federal governments. This is your family given to you by God. So exercise leadership. Take responsibility for the health and the development of your family. Don't leave it up to anybody else. This is your family, the gift God has given you. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not turn away from it. Come on, can't ignore that. When we ignore things, that's when the weeds grow. Train means, what does it mean to train? To invest in our children. Make an investment in our children. Provide an atmosphere, as I said, where they can draw. Develop where they can see Jesus. Where they can get to know Jesus. Learn how to live for Jesus. Learn how to serve Jesus. You're going to help them do that. You know, you're bringing them to church. You're leading them to church. They're going to see you serving in the ministry, serving in the community. You're going to show them your love for Jesus, how to live for Jesus. That place, the home. The home is where our kids get ready for the world, for work, for responsibility, 
for finances. You're preparing them. You're getting them ready. I want you to know this. Some of you still have kids at home. You're getting them ready for that great and glorious day when they walk out that front door and they go into the world. I'm going to tell you, it is a great day. And you're preparing them to be responsible people in society living for Jesus. Amen. Some of you are looking forward to that day of empty nesters, and you think, man, how's it going to be? And I don't know what it's going to be like. And I'm going to tell you, we had a lot of fun raising our boys. And we have a lot of fun. Like last Sunday, they came back home with the grandkids. It's a lot of fun. But let me tell you, it's a lot of fun when they're not living at home. Woohoo! We're having a good time. Yeah. Amen. In the way they should go. And what this means, in a way that fits them, not us. I want you to hear this. According to their unique personality, their gifts, their talents, their aspirations. In order to do this. See, I'm raising them because I don't want them to fit my mold and what I want to do. And my, They're them, unique individuals that God created. And I want them to be able to live the life that God is giving them and their talents and their abilities. So in order to do this, I need to see them the way God sees them. And seeing comes before being, and being comes before doing. And then we have this wonderful truth and promise from Psalm 127.3. Children are a gift from the Lord, and babies are a reward. Young moms, keep telling yourself that at 2 a.m. when it's feeding time. Gift from the Lord. Amen. God has placed the children in our, they're, they're gifts. What a heritage that we have. Oh, the kids are going to do some stuff. You know that? How many found out kids do stuff? Yeah. Yeah, they're, before they get their license, they're going to drive the car and you're going to find out about it. They're going to drive their friend's car home from school. You're going to find out about it. They're going to get their friend to back his jeep out of the driveway and he's going to run over the mailbox and your son's going to think it's the funniest thing in the world because his friend's getting in trouble. Yeah, stuff's going to happen. You're going to have these wonderful kids. And Teresa and I, John was in preschool or six years old, I guess he was six and Jordan's a baby and you know, we're pastors so you have to do things at night and there was a couple that wanted us to visit them and stop by their house and pray for them and share some stuff with us. I still remember. We got Jonathan and Holden Jordan and we ring that doorbell and they open the door and we walk in and our son John looks around the house and the first thing that is said is this. Right after we said hello and they said welcome, man, this house is a mess. You need to clean this place up. Yeah, I told you last week his mother keeps a clean house. And yes, he was telling the truth. But yeah, there it is. Can't take that back. That was said. Yeah. Yeah, you may get a call when your son, like my son John, was in first grade, two weeks before Christmas from his teacher, and says, Mr. Decker, I need to tell you that your son John informed the first grade class, that there is no Santa Claus. The parents buy the gifts. I guess she figured she needed to tell me that. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have a two and a half year old like Jordan in a crowded Walmart 
in a shopping cart, and I've told you this before, some of you, that there will be a person like standing right next to your shopping cart, and in a very loud voice, he has to have this question answered. Dad! Dad! Is that a man or a woman? Dad! Is that a man or a woman? And I was stuck. I couldn't get out of there. And God, I needed help. Tell me, God, is that a man or a woman? Because I don't know. But he had to have the answer immediately. But see, the thing is, they're going to have kids. And they're going to have boys. And they're going to have little boys that like to run around in the yard without their pants on. And they're going to have little boys that want to pee in the front yard so the neighbors can see that. And they're going to have a little boy, my grandson, that when he was in preschool and pretty well potty trained but needed some help, (laughs) and his preschool teacher comes to church here, her two sons and husbands up there, and so he needs a little help. And so what does he yell out to the preschool teacher? Hey, sweet cheeks, come in here and wipe my bottom. Yeah, God has a payback. Your kids will have kids. It's a great day. And their kids are just starting to grow up. The best is yet to come. Yeah, good stuff. He answers prayer. Thank you, Jesus. And see, the thing, the thought here is stewardship. We want to steward our families. And stewardship, we think of usually as just finances, finances. Yes, it is. But really, stewardship is everything that God has placed in our lives, and he's calling us to lead and take responsibility for the health and the development of our families. And the thing is, yeah, both parents, but he says fathers first of all, because a father will make the greatest influence in a kid's life. So let's look here at four tools for training. God gives us helps right here. The Bible. Right here, the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So inspired, this isn't just a book with words on the pages, God breathed, it's the breath, life giving breath of God without error. As God breathed into Adam and made him a living being, God's word is invaluable to us. It trains us. It equips us. It helps us. It under, helps us understand God's way. It corrects us. His word is powerful against the devil. God's word is a tool for us to become the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And then our example, another tool here, And you've heard the saying, more is caught than is taught. 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example to the believers in conduct and love and spirit and faith in purity. Not just words from God, but the way we live out those words in everyday life. We're an example if we walk the talk. 
The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he didn't say, I'm perfect. He said, I'm just an example. And as I'm living for Christ and I'm endeavoring to follow Jesus Christ, he says, follow my example. And it's exactly what your family needs, an up-close personal, godly example of a man that is sold out and committed to Jesus Christ. Not someone perfect, just a mom and a dad who love Jesus and want to live for Jesus. Somebody said, I want to be a godly example for my children. How many would say, I just want to be a godly example? Our words, man, our words are powerful. They, they, they can be a godly tool. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us the power of life and death are in the tongue. Our words are powerful. They, they, they can be a negative effect or a positive effect. They can build up. They could tear down, give life, or promote death. And then Paul tells us also, Romans 4, that Abraham called those things are not as though they were. And so we've been seeing that we have a new way to think. We have a new way to speak. Now also as men and women of God. Faith-filled language, powerful tool, powerful words, and our time. Our time is valuable. We can't make more time, but you could probably make more money. Our time is valuable. Spend some time with your kids. Do things together. Go places together. Hang out with your children. Play with your children. You know, the first part of Psalm 88, 47 says, I remember my life is short. People would say to us when we were young parents, and I remember that, oh, they're going to grow up so fast. They're going to grow up so fast. And I was a young parent, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you, they grow up so fast. They really do. The time is short. And I, I got to be honest with you. I talk with my kids. I played with my kids. I prayed every night with my sons. I taught my children. I had a relationship with my kids. But there were times that I think I did a very good job of having everyday devotions with my children. I want you to hear that, everyday devotions. I spent time. I played. I prayed every night. I talked to them every day. But everyday devotions, I would beat myself up over that. I love Jesus. I'm a man of God. I get busy in the day with ministry, at night with the ministry. I'm not having everyday devotions with that. And Teresa would agree with that. Yeah, you probably, I'll beat myself up. But then I begin to realize something. And I'm not saying I'd probably go back and do some things differently. But I begin to realize something. As I spent time with my boys, because there'd be times I want to have conversations. Nobody's ever had to try conversations and teaching moments with your kids and it wasn't happening. Yeah, it wasn't happening. But then I found out as I spent time with them and we were together, they would begin to talk and they would begin to ask questions and we would have teaching moments and teaching times and times of instruction together. Spin time with your children. I must understand how God wants my children to respond to me. Now, this is short. This is the last one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So I need to understand what God expects of them. Children, respond in your actions with obedience. Children, respond in your attitude with honor. 
It's a biggie. It comes from the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. And the Bible tells us there are times, the Bible teaches us that those who are over us, so to speak, when they act in certain harmful or sinful ways, you don't obey someone who is harming you or compelling you to sin. So three things we all need to teach our children. The discipline of obedience, the ability and to respond and take directions. You're raising them to go out into the world. They need to take directions. The pleasure of doing the right thing when you don't want to do the right thing. And we're still faced with that at times as adults, aren't we? And I can remember when's the first time they had to learn to do the right thing when they didn't feel like doing the right thing. They got that birthday gift for their friend and were going to the birthday party and they wanted to keep the birthday gift. We could give them something else. Nope, you're going to give them that gift. You're going to learn the pleasure of doing the right thing. And the promise of God's blessing for following him, it's a commandment with a blessing. Quantity living and quality living. Quality, that it may go well with you when you honor your father and mother. Quantity, you're going to live a long life. It's not Roman days. I'm not going to kill you. There's days I wanted to. No, you're going to live a long life. But not just here, it's going to be for eternity. We're going to live a long life. So here's the action step this morning. We need to step it up. Tell your neighbor, I haven't had you do that yet. Let's step it up. Tell your neighbor that right there. Let's step it up. Step it up. Exercise leadership. Assume the responsibility for the health. That means the well-being, spiritual, physical, emotional well-being of your family. There's no greater blessing and no greater responsibility than parenting, and it's not for cowards. We can do it. Amen? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Les Lemke. How many's heard his story? You may have seen the TV movie or read the book some years ago. He was a baby abandoned at the Milwaukee hospital by his parents. He had severe cerebral palsy. They had to remove his eyes. And no one wanted him. But Joe and May Limke said, we're going to take this baby that nobody wants. We believe that God is calling us to this ministry. He has a job for us to do. And they poured their lives into less. They loved him. May poured her life. And she had to teach him just, just to suck a bottle, how to eat, how to swallow she taught him to stand and to walk. He didn't stand on his own till he was 12. He didn't walk till he was 15. About 12 years of age, May was praying and praying for him. And she realized, God, you give us all talents and gifts and abilities. I pray for Leslie to have talents, gifts, and abilities. Lord, help me. May I see what his gift and his talent is and his ability. And they prayed and they prayed. And about that time, they put a piano in his bedroom and they'd play music. They put a radio and music was constantly playing in his bedroom every day. When Les was 18, about three in the morning, May and Joe were startled and came awake. What they heard was Tchaikovsky's Concerto Number One, Tonight We Love. Oh, we left the radio on. They went into the bedroom where the music was coming from, Les's bedroom. He was sitting at the piano playing. Tchaikovsky's Concerto Number 1. 
He had never gotten out of bed by himself. He had never spoken a word by himself. He was playing. He was singing. Les can play anything he hears once, sing anything he hears once, no matter what language it is in, and it is perfect. I'm here to tell you, God has called you to parent the children that you are parenting. It's not by chance, it's not an accident, and no matter what the challenge may be, I want you to know that God is in it and you can do it today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand together. As I said last week, make God your number one, your spouse your number two, and your family number three. The greatest gift you can give your family is a good marriage. They're ours. We need to know that more than ever. We talk about the Word of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's calling you. Those gifts that He's placed in your life, steward them well. going to last for all of eternity. Amen. Moms, dads, I'm just going to ask you, you say, I want to be that leader. I want to be that example. I just want to love Jesus. I want them to see that I love Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you and pray with you right now. Here I am, Lord. I want to be a grandfather that loves Jesus. You know, who knows how many years I have left. I want to live for Jesus with passion and desire. I want to finish this life well. I want to leave a legacy to my kids, my grandkids. The Poppy and Nani loved Jesus and served Him with all of their hearts. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never asked Him to forgive you. You've never repented of the sin that separates you from God. You've never accepted the life that He has for you but you want to know Jesus. And every Sunday we give this opportunity. You say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. I want to start a relationship with him. Raise your hand for me right now and say, I want to know Christ. I want to pray. I want to receive him into my life. I want the life that he can give me. Amen. So parents, let's lift our hands toward heaven right now in Jesus' name. Before we sing, before we close, in Jesus' name, Lord, I need you. We need you. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your anointing. I pray right now that as I set my eyes toward you, you're not calling us, you're not telling us that we need to be perfect or we can be because we can't. We just need to love you and allow you to lead us as we lead our families. May that take place. I pray for dads right now that may be not so in love with you. They may be even lukewarm. Stir their hearts. Stir their hearts. Convict them right now to love you, to live the life that you have for them. Raise them up to be the leaders that you see them to be, but yet they're not fulfilling. Call them, Lord. May they hear your voice. We ask it right now. 
in Jesus' name. We pray over our families, sons and daughters, no matter if they're wayward right now, far away from you right now, your word is in their life and your word will not return void. We bring them and we call them to your kingdom, to your side. In Jesus' name, amen.